Chapter Sixteen of the Mind the Paint Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jude Summers. The Mind the Paint Girl by Lewis Tracy. Chapter Sixteen The Settlement. A room in which but a moment ago black despair seemed to have found a permanent abode was now all turmoil and excitement. Jimmy Birch's quick wits had pounced instantly on a plausible solution, if not an exact one, of this unexpected visit. "'You must see them, Lil,' she gasped. "'Perhaps they've arrived at a friendly understanding and have come here to propose that you should choose between them.' "'What?' "'Great Scott!' began Roper, but Lily only stamped an emphatic foot and cried decisively, "'But I have chosen. It's settled. I can't go through it all again. I shall die.' "'Undoubtedly you ought to see them,' said Roper, catching wildly at the hope that Jimmy Birch had guessed right. "'It's a shame to persecute me so. A shame!' pleaded the girl tearfully. "'Give him a minute, dearie. Hear what they have to say.' It would be uncivil not to. Thus Ma, Roper, and Jimmy collectively. Before the tired girl could frame a protest, they were at her again. Ark to reason, dearie. See em, my pet. Buck up, Lil. She yielded helplessly, and strove to give instructions to Gladys and Maud, and there was such a flying about to bring stockings and shoes, and such a banging of cupboards and drawers to find a roll of bright blue ribbon to improvise a pair of garters, and such a to-do while Lily glanced at herself in a mirror, and pronounced her hair impossible, until a deft touch or two restored it to the artistic knot which had been sadly disarrayed by her tumbling about among the cushions. Then there were hurried asides between the confederates, she has to choose between em bet my boots that's it what else can it be oh if it is miss birch was so carried away by the exuberance of her emotions that she flung herself ecstatically into roper's arms but released herself with a haughty wriggle when she discovered who it was that returned her embrace with such fervour he carried off a difficult situation by affecting a nonchalance he was far from feeling i er think i'll run downstairs and shake hands with g's and farncombe while lily is titivating herself he said loftily don't you sneered jimmy who had to get square with him for that involuntary hug i should advise you not to risk it risk it he snorted if nico knows you were the cause of his being shut out of the party last night he'll simply throttle you what throttle me "'Throttle Lal Roper!' The little man made a formidable exit, but evidently put discretion before valor, since Nico G's did not see him after that day, nor for many a day thereafter. Meanwhile, Mrs. Upjohn was striving earnestly to jam a left shoe onto Lily's right foot, and only desisted when the girl gave an agonized squeal. "'All right, dearie. Mother's ear. Now calm yourself.' "'Remember, I'm here all the time,' babbled Ma. "'Ring for Gladys,' said Lily, when she had completed a hasty toilet, and Mrs. Upjohn hurried to the fireplace and pressed the bell-push continuously. In her eagerness to help, she was blithely unaware that the bell was ringing furiously. 
still keeping her thumb on the knob of ivory, she said plaintively, "'And now I don't believe I've rung, until her daughter, strung to the utmost tension, told her to stop, since she was not summoning the fire brigade.' Miss Birch, glancing round with the sweeping eye of a strategist, saw that the great moment had arrived. "'I'll wait in your room till the men have been shown up,' she announced, "'and sneak out that way. Now mind, Lily, if Nico is willing, after all, that you should make your choice—' "'Yes, dearie,' put in Mrs. Upjohn, "'if he is willing—' "'I tell you I have made it,' cried the girl frantically. "'I keep on telling you I've chosen. "'If you torment any more, either of you—' "'They fled, and she was given a few seconds of peace, "'wherein to collect her bemused faculties, "'before the impeccable Gladys opened the door "'and ushered in the two men. "'Geez looked pale, but carried himself stiffly, "'and, like Farncombe, attired ceremoniously.' Their quietly businesslike air was not without its effect on Lily. Jeeze took the lead and shook hands with her. "'How are you today, Lil?' "'Very fagged?' he asked gently. "'I am a little,' she replied, almost inaudibly. Farncombe advanced with marked hesitancy and bowed, but, without looking at him, she extended a limp hand and murmured a, "'How do you do?' Turning away, she invited Jeeze to sit down, and, noting that the younger man remained standing, she bade him, too, be seated, but resolutely avoided his eyes, which were, she knew, frankly fixed on her. Jeeze seemed to be the only cool and really self-possessed person present. "'In the first place, Lil,' he said, speaking with a slow distinctiveness, which savoured of a speech carefully prepared in advance." Farncombe wants you to understand clearly how it is he is committing this breach of his compact with you. He promised—what was it exactly? I promised never to attempt to come near Miss Paradell again, nor even to enter the theatre, said the other promptly. And if I'm any judge of a man, Lily, he would have kept his promise, said Jeez. Oh, yes, he'd have kept it faithfully, but for me— I've brought him here today, insisted on it. I've brought him. Do you see? He seemed to press for recognition of the fact, and the girl lifted her eyes for an instant. Oh, well, why? she stammered. I'll tell you, my dear. When we left you early this morning, you ordered us to walk away together and to part good friends. Yes, I remember perfectly. Well, we did walk away together, and we did part good friends. But the parting did not take place until some hours later in his rooms. We didn't part till I'd made him stand by me and listen to me while I had a long jaw with my brother on the phone. With your brother? broke in Lily, wonderingly. Yes, about the Rhodesian business. That Rhodesian business? she repeated, though with a quick catch of her breath which showed that she had a glimmering prescience of what was to come. "'I mentioned it to you yesterday,' he said offhandly. "'Bob owns a third, with Peter Chalmers and Jim Dalby, of a group of farms near Bulawayo, and he's been badgering me eternally to cut this rotten life in London 
and settle out there as their agent. He leaned forward slightly, spread his hands, and, with the simplest air imaginable, "'And I've accepted, old girl.' Uh, "'Accept it?' she said, and her voice broke on the word. He affected to treat the affair with humour. "'Leaving you to bring an action against me to recover damages for a broken heart.' Then he smiled grimly and drew a deep breath. "'Yes, I'm chucking you, Lil. I give you formal notice of my intentions, and you can drive down to your solicitors this afternoon and instruct them to issue a writ without delay.' ha <laughs> ha murmured the girl faintly. "'Unless,' he went on emphatically, "'unless you've an idea of consoling yourself shortly with, with another chap, and prefer not to carry the matter into court.' She made as though she would rise, but he restrained her by a gesture. "'Ha! No, not a word!' he cried, almost sternly. "'Ah, Lil, Lil, I know you're full of generous, honest impulses, though I did tear you to rags in Farncombe's hearing a few hours ago. But I'm not going to allow you to sacrifice yourself to them. I, I've come to my senses, and I'm not going to permit it.' He bent forward eagerly pleadingly. Oh, my dear, why should I make you pay for the weakness of my character? Because that's what it would amount to. I've bullied you for having played skittles with my life, my career. So you have. Damn it, so you have. But you've done it out of blind thoughtlessness. And if I'd been a fairly strong man, with some ballast in me, you couldn't have landed me where I am. Not you, nor fifty Pandora girls. Then he sat erect, with that air of soldierly abruptness which she knew so well. "'And that—that's the moral of the tale,' he sighed. Swinging round abruptly on Farncombe, he took the bewildered Viscount unawares. "'There's nothing more, is there, Farncombe?' he inquired, as though he had conducted some quite ordinary matter to its legitimate close. The young man was leaning forward, his hands clasped in front of his knees, and his head bowed. When the words came, they were broken and humble. "'Except that—that th that I'd like to repeat what I've already said to, to you, geez,' he faltered. "'I—I—oh, you make me feel terribly small.' Lily sprang upright and went to geez. She did not know what she meant to say or do, but his mind was fully made up and he took her in his arms as though he were an elder brother, consoling a fretful and disconsolate sister. "'Oh, Nico, I can't, I can't!' she sobbed chokingly. He patted her shoulder with a reassuring hand, but said nothing. He wanted her to speak now, to get the wrench over and done with. "'If you do this thing, Nico,' she said, "'what, what would become of my resolutions?' "'Your resolutions?' he said amusedly. "'To—to to raise you up, Nico.' "'You are raising me up, little girl, setting me square on my feet again.' "'And—and and drawing Eddie into my net,' she murmured in a frightened way. He patted her shoulder again with a big brotherly air. "'Oh, we've talked of that, too, he and I,' he replied promptly. "'Farncombe gave me an account of what passed between you here.' My dear Lil, your conscience may be quite clear. 
nobody can ever reproach you with trying to draw him into your net. Oh, but they would, they would, she sobbed. He held her at arm's length and shook her fondly. At all events, he said, with a sort of sad pride in his face, the task you have to face now is to prove to the world, his world, that Miss Paradell is equal to playing lead on a bigger stage than the stage of the Pandora. And you'll do it. Oh, yes, you'll do it. His voice died away miserably, and he released her. Then, bracing himself firmly for the last word, he looked at his watch. Well, he said with a fine pretense of cheerfulness, I've got to lunch with Bob at half-past one, at the Junior Carlton. Ah, it's not nearly that, Nico. You mustn't go. I— She hurried past him, moving towards the door as if to bar his passage. A strip of bright blue ribbon fluttered to the carpet from beneath her dressing gown. For an instant she did not see it, and his eyes were the first to fall on it. He stooped and picked it up, folded it carefully, and put it in his pocket. In her sudden agitation, she stooped and hitched up her loosened stocking through her robe, and affected to laugh at the incident. Jeeze too laughed, and they faced each other a few seconds, each unable to speak, each dumbly conscious that the tiny scrap of silk was all that was left to the man of his long-drawn-out dream. But Lily could not maintain the pretense. She broke down utterly, burst into tears, and wailed, Oh, Nico, Nico, is this the end? In that trying moment, he was stronger than she. Tapping her shoulder lightly again, he said pleasantly, Not by any manner of means, my dear. It isn't good-bye. Far from it. We'll kill the fatted calf several times before I start, you and I and the boy. Besides, by and by, you and he must take a trip and come out to see me. Seringa Vale is the farm where I shall be quartered, so Bob tells me. His glance wandered dreamily through the windows, across the familiar outlines of the square. German Street to Seringa Vale, my dear. Pooh! There are no great distances in these days. He did not look at Lily again, but turned round on Farncombe. You dine with me tonight, recollect. It's an engagement. Eight o'clock at Catani's and afterwards you fetch her from the theatre and take her home. That's your job now. Heedless of the girl's bitter grief, he strode out manfully and closed the door. She sank into a chair, woe-begone and distressed, and Farncombe approached slowly and stood before her. Lily, he said thoughtfully, I'm afraid there's one thing finer than winning the woman you love, and when you've won her, being prepared to go through fire and water for her. And what's that, she murmured, having the courage to give her up as Jeez has done. His words brought on a renewed outburst. Oh, Nico, Nico, she breathed. The man who might now fairly regard himself as her accepted husband was almost as deeply stirred as she. He sat beside her and took her hand consolingly. "'By George, he's a brick, isn't he?' he said. For a little while she did not answer, until, conquering her agitation, she was able to raise her eyes to his. "'Eddie,' she said, 
if we ever marry, well then, when we marry, for she had seen his sudden distress at the implied doubt. You'll never taunt me about my origin, will you? You'll never say, Lord Farncombe might not have had extensive experience in love-making, but he certainly knew enough of its ways and means to stop that outburst. Nevertheless, when she regained her breath, her words showed that a vague fear was still troubling her. "'And then there's poor mother,' she said. "'You won't be very proud of her, will you?' "'Your mother,' he cried boyishly, preparing to make light of all difficulties. "'Oh, she's—she's she's an awfully good sort.' "'But she hasn't an H to her name,' she reminded him. "'Well,' he said inadvertently, "'she oughtn't to have.' Lily bounced up quickly and walked away. "'Do you mean she calls herself Hopjohn?' she cried. "'No, no, no,' he protested, horrified by the notion that he might have hurt her feelings. "'At any rate, H's don't lead you to heaven, do they?' Even in her present flustered state, Lily felt that this topic had better be avoided. Moreover, there was a sharp incongruity about any tender passages between them at that trying moment, which appealed to her sense of the ludicrous. "'Well, you'd better go now,' she said, cutting the Gordian knot suddenly. "'And to-night?' he questioned, with a timid smile. "'No, I'll come home alone.' "'Lily,' he urged, "'please, not for two or three days. "'You must give me time to shake down over this.' "'On Saturday?' "'No,' she cried fretfully. "'Being a persistent young man, "'he waived the point by raising another. "'If it is fine on Sunday, "'we might run out somewhere in the car for luncheon.' Lily smiled sorrowfully at him. "'I'll... I'll write,' she said, and he left it at that. He took her hand, but she kept him at a distance. He attempted to come nearer, yet again she checked him, for his intent was clear, and she shook her head quietly. "'Not just yet, Eddie,' she said. Whereupon he smiled at her again and bowed himself out. She went to the door and watched him descend the stairs wafting him an affectionate adieu as he turned on the landing. Then she wandered back listlessly into the room. Her face was very thoughtful, and during nearly a minute she seemed to be peering anxiously, almost fearfully, into the future. At last she went to the door of her bedroom and opened it a little way and called, Mother! Mother! Mrs. Upjohn bustled in, all aglow with excitement. "'Yes, Lil,' she cried. "'Yes, dearie, yes. "'Have they given you your choice?' "'No,' said the girl. "'They've given me no choice.' "'What?' "'And up went the maternal hands in dismay. "'Nico's going out to South Africa, mother.' "'South Africa? "'Well, to Rhodesia.' "'It was all one to Mrs. Upjohn, "'who fastened on the dominating fact "'that either locality was a long way removed from Bloomsbury.' "'Then you're free, Lil!' she cried exultantly. "'No, I'm not. Nico's handed me over.' "'Handed you over?' Ma was in a state of excitement, which did not permit her brain to work efficiently. She could only gasp out repetitions of her daughter's words. "'Yes, to Lord Farncombe.' Then, indeed, Mrs. Upjohn nearly gave up the ghost. She dropped, gasping, into a chair. 
and you and the young gentleman that was all she managed to say but lily reassured her with a quiet i suppose so oh the dear cap'n murmured ma who never by any chance could display tact in a delicate situation like this the girl promptly began to cry again and dropped into her mother's lap putting her arms around the astounded old lady's neck and murmuring bitterly oh poor nico what will become of him he'll have his reward lil mrs upjohn soothed her he'll have his reward hereafter had she but known it her daughter was on the very verge of hysteria all manner of mad notions were whirling in her brain and her thoughts suddenly reverted to the life she was leaving behind her and poor carlton smythe she cried oh poor carlton why what's he done demanded her mystified parent he's losing every one of his best girls mother gwenny harker Mady Travell, eva shafto and now me oh poor carlton ush dearie ush said ma in a most matter-of-fact tone and rocking her wayward daughter to and fro like a baby don't consider him think just think what a lot of good you're all doing to the aristocracy on a day not so long ago but fully three years after jeeze had bade farewell to london he rode across the high veld at sunset towards the cleft of the matopo hills in which seringa vale farm was situated already he could see the corrugated roofs of the long low range of buildings which constituted that thriving homestead in the mellow light they looked almost picturesque because they were neat and trim and not wholly devoid of colour while an english lawn and flower garden were shaded by giant teak and mahogany trees and flanked by clumps of fig trees and mimosa in the vast enclosures on either hand herds of cattle were grazing two-year-old and three-year-old bullocks and heifers brought together for the half-yearly sale from the still more extensive and well-stocked tracks where the best grass and water were available jeeze surveyed them with a professional eye the beasts were of the right size color and weight they would run to good figures in the mart in a word seringa vale was prosperous and the manager's commission on the net profits would amount to a considerable sum at the end of the year he himself looked younger and healthier he was lean and sinewy and brown and those who knew him would surely have refused to believe if any stranger happened to remark that nico jeeze had once been described as a loafer and a waster yet while his trustworthy pony was jogging along steadily to stable and food the rider's reflections wandered from the present to the past a letter had reached him that morning before he rode off to a distant corral to investigate a dispute between kaffirs and its contents were well calculated to send his thoughts wandering back through the years and across half the world lord and lady farncombe were in south africa they and their friends miss eva carmichael a cousin of farncombe's sir rupert spencer and mr george owlis had reached cape town and were travelling up country preparatory to a shooting trek from bulawayo into northeast bakuanaland he had read something but heard a great deal more of lily paradale's rapid conquest of her new set farncombe's family had at first been indignant but the birth of a grandson put an end to these alarms and excursions 
and young Lady Farncombe was now welcomed in the most exclusive circles. Ah, well, with her youth and beauty and genius, she was well equipped for conquest. As for himself, he would soon be a middle-aged old fogey, for a man is so constituted that he thinks that way at thirty-seven, yet regards himself as quite a boy when he is ten years older. But who were these people gathered on the spacious stoop, and how came there to be such a collection of cape-carts in the home-yard? Life on the veld strengthens the sight, and Jeeves was still a good half-mile away when he saw a white handkerchief fluttering from a woman's hand, and the next instant his pony knew that the day's work must end hurriedly. Lily herself was the first to greet him as he flung his lean body from the saddle. "'Lady Farncombe!' he cried breathlessly, and thanking his stars that the fast gallop might seem to account for his agitated air. "'Oh!' she cried, her eyes sparkling with joy at the success of this long-planned surprise. "'Is that the way you greet me, Nico?' "'Well, then, Lily, but why didn't you—' He held out a hand, which she disregarded promptly, and kissed him very heartily. "'You might at least tell me you're glad to see me,' she said, holding him at arm's length and surveying him with critical approval. "'No need to tell you that.' He, too, had eyes for no one but her at the moment. "'You are thinner. You have been ill,' he said. "'Just a bit run down. That's one explanation why they sent me a long sea voyage. But the real one is that Eddie and I meant to come as soon as the kitty could be left safely. I wanted to bring him. He's such a darling, Nico. Only his granddad wouldn't hear of it, nor Lady Godalming either, for that matter. And now Farncombe was gripping his hand, and introductions followed. There was so much news to give and receive, and questions to ask and to answer, as to the well-being of Ma, who insisted on living quietly in a cosy flat on the Battersea side, of Lionel Hesketh Roper, who had retired to Bexhill, of Jimmy Birch, now leading lady at the Pandora, of Nico's experiences in Rhodesia, and of the shooting party's determined rush through the Cape Colony and the Transvaal to the pure air of the high veld, that Jeeves awoke almost with a start to the fact that he was presiding over a well-arranged and crowded dinner-table, and that Lily Paradale, the real, good-hearted, impulsive Lily, was sitting on his right hand and Farncombe on his left. Once, when he caught a pleasant laugh from Eva Carmichael at some story Norris, his assistant manager, was telling about the disingenuous Kaffir, he turned to Lily and said, "'Your cousin seems to be a jolly sort of girl.' "'Yes, Nico, isn't she sweet?' "'Well, I'll take your word. Oh, but you'll like her more and more every day. You've got to, because you'll be in her company constantly during the next three months, to put it mildly.' Jeeves, though an excellent host, might certainly be forgiven the expression of bewilderment which flickered in his face, whereby Lily was much diverted. "'Did you think that this gang meant to quarter itself all that time at Seringavale? she cried. "'No, Nico, you're coming with us. Eddie arranged everything with your partners, and you haven't a word to say.' they are sure you need a change and that a long trek into the interior will do you good and that the business can go along quite smoothly here in your absence so that is settled and all you have to do is to find the salted beef 
I, I mean the salted cattle, because Mr. Owlis has brought everything else, either from London or Bulawayo. Late that night, when Jeeze, as was his habit, went out to give a final look round before retiring to rest, he met Norris crossing a strip of lawn towards his own small bungalow, and the youngster was actually whistling, Mind the paint. I say, Jim, just stop it, will you? cried Jeeze in an annoyed tone. "'Why, what's the matter, Governor?' asked his surprised aide. "'What the deuce do you want to whistle that air for?' "'Why shouldn't I? I heard a girl sing it at a café chantant at Salisbury last time I was there. It's a harmless sort of song. Do you mean that I might disturb the ladies?' "'Uh, yes, of course, you young idiot.' "'I'm sorry, but I really didn't think they could hear me at this distance.' "'Oh, well, perhaps you're right.' My mind was wandering. Good night. Good night, sir. The boy didn't know. Beyond any manner of doubt, he didn't know. The song had outlived the singer. Mind the paint was still in vogue, but the mind the paint girl forgotten in the more striking personality of Lady Farncombe. End of chapter 16 End of the Mind the Paint Girl by Lewis Tracy